everyone and welcome back to the Barely Bookish podcast. Today we are going to be talking about The Lottery by Shirley Jackson and I am joined by the lovely Eric Silver, who you may know from Join the Party because I talk about it all the time. Yeah, that's me! Woo! <laughs> I like to think that there was a big box that you reached your hand in and pulled out a slip of paper and my name was written out uh, and my name was written on it because in orally in order for the barely bookish podcast to succeed someone needs to come on and guest and it was my turn on behalf of the community to do so. It's like the Oscars with the little envelope. <laughs> That would be so. Would that be worse or better if the Oscars involved stoning at some point during the proceedings? I just made the connection because I didn't immediately make the connection of the box. From I was like thinking, oh yeah, a little envelope, name. and then I just realized after I said Oscars that that was the reference. That's what we were going for. <laughs> I was like, that's a fucking bold move to be like, oh yeah, it'd be so great if a community sacrificed one of our biggest stars. Is that not what the Oscars is? I don't know. Yeah, true. No, it's very true. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me come on and doing it. <laughs> thanks for letting me come on and do a short story. Uh, I really pushed for it because I love short stories, but also like I never get a chance to use my like English teacher skills, and mm-hmm. I have an affection for short stories because um, I don't know what state. Uh, you or what type of high school education you had. But uh, when I was a high school English teacher in New York State, they were pushing something called Common Core, which I think a lot of different public schools dealt with some sort of like overhaul of the English department specifically about like Mm -hmm. what counts and what doesn't and more of a focus towards like analytical skills in a way where you're not just like making dioramas and saying book reports, you know, it's like, you know, trying to analyze stuff, which on its face was good. But of course, since it was school, it felt so hard to get kids to like yeah. be excited. And we ended up reading a lot of like articles um, and because there was a whole part of Common Core doing like short uh, works. So short stories were great because you didn't have to do a whole novel and trying to mm-hmm. explain like how the great Gatsby works to modern high schoolers is very challenging, but short stories were perfect. Just mm-hmm. like, we're going to read this. We're going to analyze it for a week. We're going to be able to talk around it. We're going to talk about all the parts and then we're going to move on instead of like doing yeah. it for two months. So I'll tell you this, a lot, all the listeners know this, but um, I went to, I lived in Florida. I did all of my education mostly in Florida. So you can imagine how little uh, the English I got. Um, So I, our, all I really got for classics was I got like two minutes of Romeo and Juliet. Sure. And that was, they're like, all right, that's all you need to know. What were you doing instead? um, I read Go Ask Alice. And oh, unwind. you read Go Ask Alice? <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. I've never heard of that. I I only know about it. Well, I don't mm-hmm. only know about it, but I heard the big like analysis of it from You're Wrong About and how it's like mm-hmm. blatantly a lie. And I didn't yep. know. And like they said, like, oh, yeah, it's still being done in public schools. I've never met someone who actually uses it in mm-hmm. or I've never met someone who actually read it in school. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so I read that one. I read Unwind. I read 13 Reasons. We did like a banned book Sure, thing. of course, of course. Um, um, and then the closest classic besides Romeo and Juliet, I got color the color purple. Oh, that's pretty good, though. 
they made me write like 60 pages not joking 60 pages about it which is like most like the book i think is only like 200 so yeah that's wild okay can i ask you questions about go ask alice (laughs) i don't remember much but yeah yeah, I just want to know what your feeling was when you read it. Was it clear to you when you were reading it? Did your teacher say that this was, like, fake and not real? For those of you who don't know, and I have the Wikipedia page up so that I can remember <laughs> it, go ask Alice. It was a faux memoir that was written in 1971 about a 15-year-old girl who got addicted to drugs and then, like, got in with, like, a cult and stuff. <laughs> And like no one examined the fact that it was it was fake. It was definitely taken at face value as mm-hmm. just truth. Um, so yeah, did you know it was like anti drug propaganda? So I was a very gullible child. Okay. Hey, so- you and everyone in 1971. <laughs> I, like not on you. Yeah. So our uh, like we read it, and then my teacher afterwards was like. So that was fake. And I was like, I'm sorry, sir, what? Like, because I was <laughs> I was very invested. And then he's like, yep, it was fake. Anyways, and I'm like, he's like, this is why you need to question literature. Because that, that was the first time I learned you should, like, do analyses, you know, like, actually read it critically. Sure. Was that teacher being like, all right, now that you've read that, that was all a lie. Don't trust everything you read. <laughs> That's so – I'm glad that your teacher said that, but mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why Mr. Harris needed to dunk on all of you so hard. I, this is something that I learned in my master's degree. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to dunk fucking hard on your students. <laughs> I like it. He was just like, you idiots, read your shit. <laughs> Figure yeah. it out. Use your brain and then just moved on. What yeah. is that? I would have thought you would have done like some sort of long project – on taking on on like unreliable narrators mm-hmm. and not taking text and face value and then some yeah. sort of like historical analysis <laughs> on it. Now, Mr. Harris no. just absolutely dunked on you kids. Mm-hmm. I like that you named him Mr. Harris too. What do I want to out your high your high school English teacher? But jeez, best part is I don't remember his name. I'm gonna be honest, my memory's not very good. Yeah, there you go. It works. I, I can it's... tell he wasn't very good. I can tell. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. So my I mean, I don't know how much you know about Florida's school system right now. I've heard. I've heard some stuff. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that should pretty much preface you for why I decided to do a podcast and read all these things I've never read before. Fair. No, totally. Yeah. Well, this is great that I we can analyze the short story together. You Mm -hmm. you'll realize that this this thing is very short, but Mm -hmm. we there is so much to talk about, both in terms of. Like the the story itself, which was published in 1948, hot time to publish stuff in the United States. And also, um, we we got this for free on the New Yorker website. This was published originally in the New Yorker, um, and therefore, because it was a magazine, got a lot of responses. So we can also talk about like the responses to it uh, as well, which I, I very much want to. Yes, and I will say for listeners, if you want to read this yourself. Use an incognito window, and then you don't have to pay for the New Yorker. This is the yeah. only thing you want to read. The New Yorker also uses JavaScript as their like paywalling stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're on, I do it on Firefox, but I'm, I think you can do it on Chrome. If you go into like the inspect menu, you can just disable JavaScript, and you don't even have to worry about that. 
top tier top tier tips right now <laughs> we gotta get, let them know also yeah. because it's the new yorker um there's an audiobook version of the story right in the website so you can also listen and it's like 20 minutes tops yeah i i saw that and i love that it's available because i'm a big audiobook nerd so for anybody else there you go I really did take this opportunity to actually read it with my eyes because all I do is spend time listening to podcasts. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to use the old peepers and really analyze this thing. Yeah, I thought it was going to be longer. I'm not going to lie. I don't know why, but when I Googled it, um, I think I looked up pages and someone said that it was like 10 pages. Oh. But I don't know what they count as pages. So... (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, this makes me want to do a word count on this, but it really does fly by. It's mm-hmm. it's really short, and I think that's also why I like it so much. I had a few different choices of what I wanted to do when I came on uh, Barely Bookish as I kicked the door in uh, and said, I got, I'm in the lottery. We're doing a short story. Um, I wanted to do this or uh, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas by Ursula K. Le Guin or the novella um, uh, Bartleby the Scrivener. Uh, by uh, Chaboy Herman Melville, uh, because they're all great and I, I, they're all wonderful works of fiction. Um, but a, even a, even a novella is very long, especially because it was written in the Herman Melville style of repeating and re-repeating the same thing over and over again. Uh, and then he has to take a detour to talk about Ambergris, which is a whole other thing. It's like, why are this, this isn't even a whale book. Why are you doing this? And he's like, shut up, sit down. I'm talking about whales. Um, and it's actually interesting. I feel like these two short stories, the ones who walk away from Omelas and uh, the lottery actually have a lot in common because they're both about beautiful days almost utopian well utopian when we're talking about uh ursula k le guin or like bucolic beautiful americana uh when we're talking about the lottery and then of course this like dark kernel of violence and dark and truly darkness that exists at the core of how this thing exists this perfect americana exists um so honestly i feel like we're talking about both um so after this, you can listen, read that short story, but um, they sure do have a lot in common. Yeah, I really like this style of short story, too, where it's just like, oh, something's happening. Some things are going on. Things are getting really scary here. Um, I'm oh, terrified. Yeah. Shirley Jackson, the fucking god of that. Mm-hmm. The absolute fucking goat. Um, the first time that I've seen this short story, actually, to that point about tension, was actually uh, as part of like a one-act play festival. Um, if you can imagine this being rendered as a as a play, very short, you have no idea really what's happening. Um, and they don't really frame the gathering of stones as much in the beginning. So you don't even really know what's going on. It's just a lot of adults and families talking to each other. The box comes out, they draw, and then of course the end is like, oh shit. And of course then then and you're like, oh my god, what's happening? And then mm-hmm. like and then the and then the play's done which is uh, a really, really fun way to take this in. So I don't even remember the last time I've read the story, but I was so affected by how quick everything moves. It was wonderful. And, like, listen, we could we could talk solely about the first few paragraphs for probably the entire episode if you really wanted to. Honestly. Honestly, though, because um, it's this... Uh, 
I feel like we just have to get into it. Otherwise, we're Please. just going to keep talking about how good it is. And because, okay. It'll be fun Getting with the it. summary. It'll be fun, like, as you summarize <laughs> it. It's like, all right, this is what happens. Like, you could just read the short story. It's the same. We're yeah, just going to be walking much. through the short story. It's it's really great. Pretty much. I Okay, I also have to mention, I thought one thing I've done when I was, uh, I used to write short stories a little bit, and I posted them on my website. Sure. And I was very reminiscent of this short story I wrote, reading the reactions, because this one, it just ends. There's no resolution. There's no reason no. that this happens. Just this is what it is, ends. And I remember I wrote a story like that, um, and I had I got a lot of hate for it. And I was like, well, you know, it's a micro story is what I called it. This is just how it is. Take it or leave it. It doesn't need explanation. You know what I mean? And I really like that yeah. this is what we're getting. Like, we we don't need all the details. We just get this, and you can take it as it is. Yeah, the ending is really interesting. They're like, they're really... They're, I mean, there is resolution. I think we're pretty... We know what happens at the end. But there's mm-hmm. no, like, summer, summarizing our conclusion. It's just like, this is how it ends. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and it is something that we talk about now. I mean, this is, might be a little bit of a... Uh, like older reference but like you know everyone hated the sopranos ending when it mm-hmm. when like don't stop to Le- leaving played tony soprano looked at the door when the 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 door dinger the bell went off someone walked in the door of a diner he looked over and then the end i think you can like that was definitely provocative, right? You had no idea what happened to this guy who you loved, even though he was a terrible guy. You really want to know what happened to him, at least. And I think a lot of people assumed, spoilers for The Sopranos, I guess, but like, I guess a lot of people assumed that someone ran up on him and shot him, that like he died shortly afterwards. And I kind of love that we didn't see it. Um, I think people have really come around on it when they realized it was like an artistic ending. But... I don't know. I, I don't necessarily want to tell everyone what happens. Like, I don't want to make it pat for them when I'm ending something. Um, I really understand it. This makes me think about, like, all the franchises that exist now, especially, like, the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. how, like, there are no endings to any movie because they have to be interconnected, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're really – they never end because the intercredit sequences then – tie it to the next movie that's coming forward or it's like okay after this then you're gonna go watch a tv show then you're gonna watch another movie etc etc so like there are no endings so i'd rather there be a um ambiguous ending than no ending at all then it's a dot 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 i that would that shit drives me crazy because then i just need to sit on my hands until mr kevin feige comes here and drops another fucking movie in my mouth like that's why it just doesn't feel satisfying anymore which is why people are frustrated with the marvel movie situation as it is ever since endgame ended at least endgame felt like an ending even though there're going to be more phases you know i know um, I- I gotta say this. I feel like kind of like a controversial because I always dunked on DC movies and then I finally watched Shazam and I'm like, tell me why this is actually kind of a good movie. Like, kind of mad. Like, I don't know why it's kind of good, but like the last couple of Marvel movies I've watched, I was like, okay. Like, thank you. But also, I feel like we've done this. We've been here. Yeah. Are you talking about like the first Shazam? 
because the new yeah. one I I have not seen it also because Zachary Levi is a real loves Jordan Peterson a, a lot and it really bums me out um, and I just like don't give a shit about the DC movies but like mm-hmm. I'm yeah because they're kind of like there are singular stories we're telling mm-hmm. like I love the Batman the Batman was great mm-hmm. even though like oh maybe there's opportunity for more at least it told one story yeah um, which I is like, like if you're gonna adapt. If you're talking, we're talking about like adaptation. Like these movies are adaptations, right, of comic book stories. The least you could do is honor the form from which you are adapting from, and like let the story exist on its own. That's the whole point of comic book runs, right? That like someone is taking this character and doing this thing. I just hate like Marvel expects that I'm a fanboy so diehard yeah. that like whatever they'll give me is good and like I'll mm-hmm. just be strung along by all this stuff and I think it's worth having endings so that we know when we're like allowed to turn our brain off and stop being it's it's like Marvel expects the people consuming their stuff like like their cars right oh I'm mm-hmm. just gonna keep my car running so that whenever I need to hop in the car I'll just have it like that's a crazy thing to say <laughs> you gotta turn off the car at some point mm-hmm. I've been having the issue with uh the fact that I am not caught up on everything. Like, sure. So I went, I wanted to go see the newest Doctor Strange and my siblings were like, okay, but if you go see that, you have to watch what if. Right. And some other things. And I was like, what is what if? And apparently it's only on Disney plus. And I'm like, am I going to go watch all that? Just to watch Doctor Strange. I don't know. (laughs) Especially, I think it's, that's a very good point is like, you got to watch what if and Loki and mm-hmm. some other dreck. And I'm like, I don't want to watch this. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care that Owen Wilson's in it. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Is that going to make me watch it when I hear it's not worth it? You know, yeah. like I got other stuff to watch. I'm ready for succession. I'm watching Yellowstone. Like, come on. I, I, I'm watching Top Chef. I got mm-hmm. stuff to do. I can't just sit here and consume Marvel stuff when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to watch Clone Wars, too, because I want to know. Ahsoka. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, so, like, that's more important to me than seeing the next Doctor Strange in which we get stuck somewhere, probably, you know? Mm. There's something about the Star Wars stuff that really is feels like such a better gambit, and it's funny because it's both Disney properties now. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, with Andor, and I, I was so not bought into Star Wars stuff. Like, I just did not care about the Force. I didn't care about Jedi. I didn't mm-hmm. care about what was going on with Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. I just didn't care. But with Andor, it's like, okay, I actually understand that the government systems and what's going on and all of this stuff, it's all important. And we're mm-hmm. actually telling a story set within a universe. Like this is actually the thing you told me to do instead of waiting around for Mandalorian to do some Mandalorian stuff or like whatever Obi-Wan is some sort of prequel bullshit. Like mm-hmm. I, I actually understood it. So now with, with Ashoka and this other stuff going up, I'm like, okay, if you're actually going to let someone tell a story that is not adaptation, which is not a means to an end, actually mm-hmm. tell some sort of interesting story. I might actually be interested in it, and I, I'm kind of bought in on a Star Wars TV show. On Star Wars yeah. TV shows. Yeah, I gotta still watch Endor, but... It's uh, so good. I've oh, heard it's, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> I know, I'm so behind on TV shows. I don't know why. I, I used So I used to have, like, gym TV shows, and then sure. I don't know what happened. I just kind of stopped gym tv showing and gym podcast instead and now it's all skewed i've lost it you know the wi-fi didn't work at my gym so i got really behind on everything i just haven't caught up now that i have a different gym with wi-fi 
the least they could do is give you wi-fi truly truly i had an apartment complex gym and the tv didn't work there Rude. was like yeah there was no music and it was really weird and then the wi-fi didn't work and we were on a road that has never had good cell service even oh, when God. they put the cell service towers in they just never sure. upgraded them and it so it's always been terrible mm. so that's rude. That's really upsetting. So you can just listen to yourself breathe hard, as I'm sure you love. Yeah. And I was next, our, our apartment was um, next door to this like training. Um, like a, it was a college for like athletes. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> it was me and then like people going like really hard. So it was already oh, like great. uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, yeah. You and like D1 athletes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's yeah. Nice. Yeah, Jesus so it's Christ. like you're having to like try and share equipment already with like D1 athletes who have already commandeered everything and it's a very yeah, okay. Now it it doesn't matter. This story, let's talk about that instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, here. Here, I'll do a transition. Do you want to hear right, this transition? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Well, the what I like about Andor is how quickly they establish the world building of the various planets that they're on, especially in the first episode, um, where Andor is living on like a mining planet, and you kind of learn what's going on as quick, very, very quickly. With just like in the lottery with Shirley Jackson. Boom! Got it. Boom. <laughs> So let's just start off and we're going to get my notes right through my impressions. So you'll see me like slowly realizing that things are getting wild. Sure. So um, the way they make it sound is that it seems like the lottery happens all over the world and then it must yes. conclude by end of day, June 27th. Um, and then this small town only has 300 participants. So it takes about two hours, which is smaller than even my middle schools or high schools so i can't even imagine that little people in a town i know it's wild in the first paragraph that that shirley jackson establishes the date and the feeling of that date that it's june 27th she then Im immediately establishes that multiple that other places do the lottery as well even before we know what the lottery is which i think is the entire point but she says oh everyone does this it's a tradition that is very common but in the but it's but we're drilling down on this particular town and their lottery and then of course the timing which is kind of incredibly integral to the entire story god it's so efficient it's just yeah. so efficient in establishing like the weird world that we exist in that like it's summer, we're here, and this is an established tradition that we're going mm -hmm. to be examining during the short story. I even like that there's, like, caveats for, oh, if you have a bigger town, they started on the day before so that it can conclude by June 27th. I, I really like that it's, like, established that there's other ways people do it just in case their town is bigger. So it yeah. feels like this exists outside of just this town. What a firm hand on the wheel. It really yeah. feels like someone's driving, which you mm -hmm. don't you need to have in short stories, but man, you just don't feel sometimes in 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 like works of fiction. You're just mm -hmm. like, "Oh yeah, we're out here, we're doing stuff." It's like, "No, Shirley Jackson is telling us exactly what we need to know." I've heard that talk before where there's like some stories that build a world and then there's some stories that are just the story itself, and if you examine it outside of the world like the story that's being told that it stops making sense very quickly yes that's a very good point i don't actually have a problem with that of yeah. like 
you know, I think that that's the difference between building a world and then remembering you have to tell a story within it. And then, like, mm-hmm. I guess Disney World rides is the best way to describe it. Like, it's a small world instead where it's mm-hmm. like you actually don't need to know anything that's not on the rails. Right. You should mm-hmm. just be looking at what's there and everything behind it is the machinations to make that happen. I'm very familiar with that because I feel like that's how I run my uh Dungeons and Dragons games, my tabletop RPG games, where it does not really benefit me at all to spend all this time setting up every single detail of a world. I really just need to focus on what my players are going to be doing and what they care about and what is in, and what is necessary for the scene. Of course, I it's also not only my responsibility to make this stuff up. My players also make it up as well. So like they might contradict something that I've written down. And there's no interesting way to say, um, actually, I already figured out the way that this government worked. Unless, like, I have already told it to them and then it's, like, a present, you know? Mm-hmm. So I oh, kind of like this. That, like, are you only, the world building is only dictated by the, by what we need to know and the action that's going to be important for this mm-hmm. story. I actually think that that's uh, to the story's benefit. Oh, yeah. I think if there was too much detail, it probably would not have stood the test of time as much as it has. Yeah, for sure. Plus, then it also makes it feel like it could be happening today, which I like. Like, it doesn't feel like sure. time-wise. Oh, and then they pulled out their uh, tape recorder. or I don't know, like something, you know, like where it's very set in time. I like that it's oh, like, Oh, sure. Hey. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and then someone got on the phone to call someone else, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, we all called Old Man Summers, and I think there's, that's so like prescient of Shirley Jackson to mm-hmm. keep this in like a bucolic farmer sort of area. You know, like she was. I feel like she was thinking, and maybe here in 1948, when we're halfway through uh, the modern 21st, the modern 20th century, uh, mm-hmm. or at least the age of industrialization, she's like, you know what? Small towns are going to stay the same. Everybody is just going to be like flannels and overalls and jeans, right? And I think that this will stay this way. I can only imagine that she wrote it intentionally to feel like it could be in any time, whether that for her it was 1948 or uh, 1908 for that matter. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I did also, so the next part we get to, the kids are getting out of school. So I thought it was really interesting that this is supposed to like cap out their school year. Oh, shit. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. This is like their signifier of summer. Like, all right, kids, we're going home early today. Happy last day of school. Go to the lottery. That's wild. I mean, it's one of those things that we don't think about anymore. How, like, Mm -hmm. school is the dates of school are dictated by the same thing that's happening in the lottery, which is, like, kids being let out to work on the farm over the summer. And how mm-hmm. important that is. And school only comes back after, like, the harvest season is done. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that kind of works perfectly. But, yeah, I, I didn't even think of that because, like, we were talking about children in the second paragraph. Like, mm-hmm. the children all running around. Bobby and Harry Jones and Dickie Delacroix, they're all running around getting stones. But, of course, that doesn't tell us anything other yeah. than these kids are running around God, Jesus Christ, on your second read-through when you realize that the stones are in the second paragraph and children yeah. are messing around with them. It just makes you it just makes you sick. Yeah. I I remember when, like when I first started reading this, I was like, oh, they're getting stones. How cute. Because I was thinking about um when I was in elementary school, we had like a town 
like we, they were trying to teach us about money. So we had like a town hall thing where we all made shops. And one oh of yeah, the, mean yeah. jeans. Yeah. Yeah, my shop was rock pets. Oh so no. You, <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're gonna make rock pets. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, they're getting all the stones for rock pants. Of course. Yeah, what else? What else would they get them for, right? Oh God. <laughs> so first we have um, all the men rolling up, and then we have all the women. Which, I guess, the thought was that like the mines were closer or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that shows up later. I, I definitely want to talk about the framing of the lottery. How like. Mm-hmm you get the family gets chosen first and then they choose the member of the family. I really want to talk about that later. And I think it that's mm-hmm. what it's a part of. Well, mm-hmm. I know it's got like, it's a little more old fashioned with the gender roles of the man being the head of the family, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's like everyone has the same last name. So you got to have at least one family member there because you're choosing the family, which is even more sinister. Jesus Christ. But we're going to get yeah. there. We're going to get there at the yeah. end. Yeah, so the all everybody's in town. The kids uh, get called to join their family, so every family is in like a little group. Um, and then we find out that this is conducted by Mister Summers, who also conducts like all of the town events. And they like list out like Halloween, square dancing, a bunch of other things. Oh, the teenage club! You didn't like that? <laughs> I forgot the teenage club. <laughs> Hey kids, we're gonna do, we're gonna do a dance. We're all gonna do a TikTok together. All right, Mister Summers. Yeah, we're gonna do uh, the what is it? The Fortnite dance? Is it the floss? Yeah, we're gonna we're all gonna floss together. It's gonna be great. The box has to be a part of it, though. I really need uh, the kids on TikTok to commission us to get a better box. Oh my god. <laughs> So uh, he sets this black box on very specifically a three-legged stool. Um, And then everyone kind of goes around it. There's a bunch of papers in the box. Assumably everybody's name is on it. Um, And then we really get into the topic of the fact that this lottery has been going on so long that all of the traditions around it have been forgotten. Like no one's really sure why like if the box itself matters but there's parts of the box the only thing they remember is taking names out of the box which i thought was incredibly interesting yeah seriously um what again what great world building like Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing we need to know about the world is the stuff that matters for the themes right they're like this is an old tradition and no one questions it but we still do it Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's even more chilling on your second read through of like nobody really questioning it. There's a couple of people in the audience who are like, Oh, I heard a town over that they stopped doing it. And then the older people in the town are like, well then all their crops are going to go bad. So we get like a hint of why they do this. Assumably so that the crops stay good. Like, yeah, it's like, God, only once you get hit that, do you realize how, I don't know, almost magical this is, like almost the religiosity that is a part of this tradition, how something is so like, I don't want to put this on pagans, uh, but it it feels very like 
oh, I'm going to kill someone and then good things are going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, like all of a sudden, Shirley Jackson is injecting this, like, mysticism almost into this Americana town. Like, that mm-hmm. is like, oh, it turns out that this town is a cult. Or, but they're all mm-hmm. cults. They've all they are all a cult to this one thing, and mm-hmm. she, she doesn't tell us more than that. She just says, "Yeah, this is we've been doing this. It's it, it's been happening." Yeah, I was think kind of thinking about it from like, so I was raised Catholic as many people are, unfortunately, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about the fact that, um, you know, when you're a kid, they just go okay, eat the body and blood of Christ. Don't think about it. Like, and I asked my mother when I was a child, I was like, so am I a cannibal now? And she wasn't happy with that question. But like, there's those kinds of traditions that just kind of stay and you're not sure why you're doing them. No one's really explained it. And when you ask, they're like, because you have to. That's wild. That's really crazy. Like, is that not clear? And again, as people know, I'm Jewish. I have no yeah. fucking idea about yeah. this stuff. But So I'm just like, but the point is that it's metaphor, right? Or is it not yes. metaphor? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's metaphor. For what? I don't I'm know. Because sure. like, I assumed it was, but then I remembered like the whole point of transubstantiation is that it isn't mm-hmm. metaphor, that it truly is. So like, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I... I could. I can't say. I okay. I'm thinking about it. I haven't been to church in a very long time. The only time Here, we go is when let, my grandparents let, are in town. I, we don't have to get into it. Let me say that. <laughs> let me take this in a different direction. I think it, it's. It makes sense though that like mm-hmm. trans. Whether or not you believe in trans in that it is the bo- the blood or body of Christ, <laughs> it's more symbolic, right? Mm-hmm. You are taking it inside of you. You're eating it. If it is metaphor, it truly is just like you're gesturing towards how important this is. And mm-hmm. you know, Catholicism is all about symbology and all that stuff. Yeah. For here though. Mm-hmm. Spoilers: Someone dies at the end. But I think we've we've t- we've said this a lot, but like, uh-huh. gee, like this isn't metaphor. It just yeah. is. Someone dies, mm-hmm. so it's it's so directly on the nose. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone has to die. It's one to one, and like mm-hmm. we don't. Someone dies, and then our crops are good. It's not even like someone dies. So if like you know, if this was a fantasy novel, it'd be like. Someone dies so that the god is happy and therefore mm-hmm. the crops are good. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, by taking out the divine, it's mm-hmm. just this like weird, macabre, mystical thing that happens that someone needs to be sacrificed on behalf of the crops. Now I'm thinking about it. Do they use the body as fertilizer? Is that the point? I don't even know. The thing is, I we don't know what the point yeah. is. <laughs> Because, like, I, if it was at, at all scientific, someone would be like, hey, we don't have to do this. <laughs> but I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. That's why I find it. I think that's why people find it so chilling that mm-hmm. there is no reason why they do the lottery. In fact, everyone does. And only now with the quote unquote modern age of late 1940s and post, post-World War II. I don't know if World War II even exists in the story, mm-hmm. but let's assume that it is. Let's assume this is like a almost a near America as close as Shirley Jackson could write it. Like mm-hmm. only now do people are like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe this doesn't make any sense. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that very, very interesting. I I one thing. OK, so when I did psychology, we had to do this whole study about like the Germans are different study. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just kind of thinking about that while I'm doing like thinking about this and like the high, the higher power, Mr. Summers is like, okay, you have to do this. And everyone's just following through and how everybody's like, oh, I wouldn't do that. You know, I'm a rational mm-hmm. person. I would never do that. In this story, I think it's really kind of awakening to people that if your entire town's like, yeah, we're doing this, you're probably going to do it. You know right. what I mean? Like the, if you don't have the capacity to question like authority this is the kind like i feel like that's what she was trying to do with this story is you need to wake up question authority otherwise this is the kind of stuff you're gonna do like that's why that whole study was done yeah i mean that's 100 true i mean this was written in 1948 to think that this is not an allegory for the holocaust mm-hmm. is to be a little bit naive you're you're 100 right yeah. uh i just wonder i guess it's i just wonder what her intentions were because like mm-hmm. If it's, I, I really felt like the banality of evil sort of thing that like bad things happen all the time. Humans need to adapt. So they kind of just w- go forward. And of mm-hmm. course, like the blind tradition of just doing whatever we've been doing the same thing for forever. And that's more important than anything else. Mm-hmm. If this was to reveal to others that Nazi German, that Nazi Germany could happen anywhere else. I don't mm-hmm. know how effective it is because it's mm-hmm. very basic, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I can't believe you guys just blindly kill someone for no reason, just yeah. because a piece of paper told you that's what you have to do to reveal people's like ignorance is like mm-hmm. just to be very basic about it. So I think it yeah. is directly related there, even mm-hmm. if it isn't like, you know, fascism is important to the fascist party. Like that's mm-hmm. more about like using power to scapegoat one pe- one person. Like there mm-hmm. isn't scapegoating here, but yeah. maybe the scapegoating is people who say we shouldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But that isn't like really all that fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. It's very what I'm saying is I this story is effective because it is so basic mm-hmm. um, and it, it definitely has its tendrils in places, but it really is not on the nose. Like this yeah. isn't like, oh, this isn't like the wave. You, you know, you remember that mm-hmm. story or that, that oh, novel? I, I don't think I read that one. I think it was called The Wave. It was like that novel that was like uh, where a it was based on a real thing that happened in a high school where like someone wanted to demonstrate the thing that you're talking about that like uh group think and like the mm-hmm. scapegoating of someone could happen anywhere that like uh, uh, a history teacher made like a quasi special group of people and then mm-hmm. then, then it kind of spread from there it was it was one it was a story it was a book much like um go ask alice that was okay. a real like book that was supposed to teach a moral but i i never read it i just can't remember if it was called the wave or something like it but it was it was very on the nose okay yeah i'll have to look that up and see if i can find it because i don't i like the idea of like books that kind of teach you something so yes the way the wave is a 1981 young adult novel by todd strasser that uh depicting a uh Depicting a teaching experiment that happened in the 60s. Yes, it's called The Wave. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. Um, we do get notes that Mrs. Hutchinson shows up late, which rereading it, wild. Like I she... really liked this. I thought this yeah. was the most effective part because mm-hmm. I think it has to do with a lot of what we're seeing now is mm-hmm. like Mrs. Hutchinson thinks that she can put off the lottery just by being late. And it mm-hmm. feels a lot like people just gesturing towards, like, 
you know, making a tweet and be like, oh, I hate what's happening to trans people. It sucks. Yeah. And like, that's it. You know, it really feels like pretending you're doing something but not actually doing something that just mm-hmm. like gesturing towards being effective is actually no one fucking cares. The tradition mm-hmm. is too powerful. You can't stop it just by trying to be sly about it. Uh, I yeah. thought this was incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. Um like thought process too because i i was just like oh how do you forget i didn't like look into it any further i was like how do you forget that the same thing that happens every day at the same time same place how did you forget that it was today it's like you know that june is a really weird month you know where people are just acting the fuck out all month (laughs) people are doing (laughs) the wildest shit because they're like i might die i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna do whatever (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, there's a countdown in Town Square, and they're like, yeah, so, um, four people just got pregnant, because, you know, they might die, so. Yeah, so it's fine. They wouldn't lottery a pregnant, it's actually good luck to have your wife be pregnant, because the lottery doesn't like it if it was going to kill both a mother and an unborn child. That's just science. It's like that early 2000s boom, because the clocks or whatever. Oh, that's funny. I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. I don't now. I'm not sure if it's true, but I, um, my parents always told me that the reason there was so many two thousands babies is because the clocks were like supposed to not work, and so right because of Y two K, people were freaking out. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's a great urban legend, regardless of (laughs) if it's true or not. That feels true, and that's all that matters. That's what my parents told me, but that's because my sister was a two thousands baby, and like there was like thirty kids at her bus stop. So. Yeah, they're like, yeah, everybody just had a 2000s baby because we weren't sure. (laughs) Wild. Um, I would like to point out at this point in the story that we spend about a quarter to a third of the entire short story doing fucking business, doing like reading out names, Mm -hmm. figuring out where people are, figuring out where people aren't, like understanding just like just just fucking business nothing we do nothing for a for a third of this short story mm-hmm. oh my yeah. god i love it because i love the like tension that's building here all of the we're getting a bunch of character names that don't matter at all but yeah we know them so that's pretty cool god it's just so much suspense and then like you know, we're still not learning what the lottery is at all. They're just like, oh, where was that guy? Is he in the town? Can someone, like, get a hold of him? Oh, no, he's here? He's in the back? Okay, all right. Moving is on. Is he old enough? Is he old <laughs> enough to do this? Is Horace old enough? I had to take a moment. I went into a word counter website, and I copied the paragraphs that were about business. Mm-hmm. 256 words devoted to this. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Do we know how many words are actually in the story? 3,381 words. So oh. they only spend 300 words doing the business, but it sure does feel like it takes forever, huh? It's all those paragraph breaks, honestly. I think that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, and it really takes you out of the action because you know you're not going to get to learn what the lottery is when they list every name in the town. Like, there's only 300 people, but we probably learn about 100 of them. Yeah, we really, I, how many names are in this thing? So many. 
the Hutchinsons and the Delacroix and Mr. Summers mm-hmm. and that guy Horace who we never hear about again. Yes, it's <laughs> it's really really slow, and I think that's it, it's like they slow they make it come to come to a crawl. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, how many last names? And then they read out all the last names in alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's interspersed with things that are people say. Shout out to the Zaninis, the <laughs> Zanini family, who have an absolute buck wild last name. Love it, love it. I I love a good good last name because I have uh, my last name is Ames, so I'm always first, and it's the worst. And everybody mm. always spells it wrong. They spell it like you're aiming at something, so it's ah. it's just which is understandable, but yeah, not how you spell it. Have you considered um, changing your last name at Ellis Island? I think that, that would work out better. <laughs> yeah. my Well, my boyfriend's got an easy to spell last name. So eventually, you know, mm. that'll. Yes. I'm stealing that one because it's better. Because <laughs> his okay. last name is Price. Pretty top tier. That's good. Um, okay. Once we So we get past all of this with all the complaining, the reading mm. out of the names. There's even more stuff. There's actually quite a lot of of business that like so there's the business and then there's the reading out of the names and everyone talking mm-hmm. to each other and then finally everyone opens up their slips of paper and they realize that it's the Hutchinsons mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with just a black dot on the paper incredible absolutely mm-hmm. fucking incredible yeah because all I I wasn't even I still had not connect the dots that we were going to stone someone because a black dot, like, I remember there was a movie, who must, which must have been inspired by this, but they put, like, a black dot on your hand if you had, like, been infected with whatever it was. And I can't remember mm-hmm. what movie it is. But I was like, okay, so that means something. Like, you still don't really know what's going to happen. It's awesome to reread it and know, all right, it's literally just a picture of a stone. Um, but... <laughs> I think that the black spot's really interesting because it's actually like a literary device. Mm-hmm. I think it that's brought over from the pirates. The, the where I know it from is from Treasure Island, mm-hmm. where like pirates got um, judgments depending on if it was if there was a black spot on a piece of paper. And mm-hmm. I feel like that sort of literary tradition from a book that was published in 1883, pulling from this romantic era of pirates totally feels like something that would leach into American life and be a part of this weird tradition in Mm -hmm. the lottery, both the, both the short story that Shirley Jackson was writing and the lottery as in the, you know, one happening in the story. It feels incredibly ominous. It's really scary. Yeah. It's, for like a literary device just so good so chilling i oh so i okay then we get bill hutchins having the black spot then his whole family has to come up redraw what is the point of this what what is the point of choosing the family Mm -hmm. and then choosing the member of the family because also in the business like husband fathers can Mm -hmm. choose to ch- go for their young children or I don't remember if there is a pregnant wife that someone can do. Maybe I'm making that up, but like can fathers choose to, to take for people who are not like adults? So there was a lady who took for her father cause he had a broken leg. Right. But like, 
I feel like that doesn't really matter if you're going to die anyways, if your leg is broken or not, but, you know. Well, it might be part of the mysticism. Like, the, yeah. the victim has to be able-bodied, which yeah. may, whatever the lottery is, whoever we're mm-hmm. killing the, the mm-hmm. person for, it you know. I mean that kind of I guess in a backwards way makes sense. An yeah. able-bodied person is the per- is the same farmer who hoes the fields and works in the fields. So mm-hmm. something I don't know. It eats, but what beautiful little nuggets that Shirley Jackson is giving us. I love yeah. that. She just throws so, us a bunch of little tasty tidbits, like beef tips. God, so small, but like, so tasty. I, I, this is the part I think where Shirley. Yeah, sorry, I'm laughing about you saying beef tips. They're really <laughs> tips. They really got it. Got to me. Um, this is the part I think where Shirley Jackson is doubling down on how horrific this is, that mm. the entire town is so relieved it's not their family, and they're mm. going to stare at another family, watch as the, as one of them is devastated and, vict- yeah. and victimized. That's that's yeah. absolute, That's really where the banality of evil comes out. I think the most horrifying part to me is that the two-year-old had to still draw a slip of paper. Like this kid could barely hold the rocks and still had to draw a slip of paper, a paper to find out if the kid was going to die or not. Right. That's what I was trying to figure out. If if mm-hmm. like some if some dads or mothers mm-hmm. chose on behalf of their children, but I guess not. No, I think it was like the first drawing was just head of house. I'm wondering if they still would have. You know, if the broken leg guy still would have had to be, like, brought back over if his family was picked. Like, I don't know at what point they're like, all right, rally up your entire kids. You know, Judy, we got your family got picked, so you better go find them all. Like, sure. Or no, just, that's fair. I think it, yeah. that's the, that the second round is much more mm-hmm. serious. So maybe it's like, no, everyone needs to go. Yeah. Hmm. <sighs> Jeez, man. Yeah, yeah I guess you're right. The kid, the kid could have been a vic- the kid definitely could have been a victim. I think the wildest part to me is the kid didn't even know to open the paper. So like the dad, I think had to look at his paper too. So you're like willing to kill this two year old who can't even. I I I think I'm making up the fact that he's two, but you know, very small. Child. I mean, he's known as he's known as little Dave. So yeah. you're you're a or he's known as little Davy. So yeah, mm-hmm. I could see him being less than five, hundred percent. Yeah, like he can he wa- learned to walk yesterday, and they're like, all right, lottery time, child. Like, hold this paper. Jesus Christ! Yeah, there. What a chilling moment where. Uh, the family chose, and then um, a girl whispered, I hope it's not Nancy, who's the daughter, just because mm-hmm. they're friends. It's like, oh, yeah. it would be a real bummer if my friend died. That yeah. would that would really suck. I, then I wouldn't have another friend. It's like, yeah, that's that's the child logic, but Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, I, I can't believe that's there. I know. It's so terrifying that it's like they're picking and choosing, you know, out of this family. Hope that one dies. Maybe the two-year-old will die because we don't really know him much. But the other one's my friend. Mm, yeah. Uh, the crazy, the, another crazy thing is that Shirley Jackson sets up the mother from the beginning. Sets mm-hmm. up Mrs. Hud- Mrs. Hudson that she like one. She's trying to be late and delay the delay the whole thing, mm-hmm. and then she complains that it's not fair that they didn't get the chance to choose from the lottery. Not that the lottery is bad, mind you, but that the lottery was unfair and they didn't get the rights. They they didn't get the right opportunity to do so, and also mm-hmm. that like the children cheered when they realized it wasn't them. I yeah. understand 
Nancy and Bill Jr. were like, oh, thank God I don't die. But, mm-hmm. like, who, then it's either your mom or your dad, my yeah. guys. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. It's, I, I think, too, it's kind of interesting because you see that a lot even today where people don't really realize that things are a problem until it happens to them. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? So yeah. I really think it's interesting even having all of that amount of dialogue in here that, you know, everybody else is being like, oh, thank God so great love that this isn't happening to me mm. and then all of her conversation as a juxtaposition to the rest of this yeah it's it's really interesting i'm looking at this line again nancy and bill jr opened theirs at the same time and both beamed and laughed turning around to the crowd and holding their slips of paper above their heads i can 100 percent envision mm-hmm. a version of this story that says Nancy and Bill Jr. opened up, opened theirs up at the same time. Both ame- both beamed and laughed, and then immediately, the 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 gravity of what that meant washed over them. But she mm-hmm. didn't write that. Fuck, mm-hmm. devastating, absolutely devastating. Yeah. That like once it comes down to the family level, mm-hmm. it's every person for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely devastating. Yeah, and honestly, the fact too that it's like just it has to be so commonplace at that point when you like think about it you know these kids are used to the fact that once a year their parents might die their siblings might die they might die like life has to have no value at that point when it's just like a shot in the dark oh i don't know if i'll make it this year you know see you guys at the festival do you think that different towns have different numbers of people who they sacrifice because, like, that thing in the, in the first few paragraphs where they were talking about the different towns and this one was, like, one sacrifice for 300 people. Like, mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. Like, how many people need to die? Or what are the odds that you're someone or you or someone you care about, either familial or your friend, that would disillusion you enough? What is the low enough odds that your mm-hmm. life would not just be total nihilism? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I don't it know. is. I I mean, because you have to think, probably at some point this would be shaped from when they move from a, like, farming society to a more modern, like, cityscape. The city yeah. would be doing it for population control. Yeah, that's a different, that really feels like a different story. That That's what, um, uh, Omelas, that's that story instead, mm-hmm. like the city and the futurism can only exist as if we put a child in a basement forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you that's why that? I love talking. That's why I love talking about these in, in, conjun- in conjunction is our, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we push industrialism forward to become futurism or how do we resist industrialism and still allow ourselves to be a bucolic Americana farming town? It's, it's quite interesting. It, I find them really, it's a real compare contrast essay here. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever read Scythe? No. What's that? So basically everybody can live forever except there's like basically these Grim Reapers that have to come around and just at random kill people within a certain statistic so they can't be biased or um, whatever. They have to uphold like the normal ratio of what people would have died before immortality was invented. Hmm. So, you know, there's these sides who go around and, like, 
pick people off because oh you drank and drive you drunk drank and drove drank and drove I yeah drank yeah, drove. yeah yeah you drank and drove yesterday so you would have died if it was in 2020 so sorry you were the random chosen person to die man this is tight though this is this it's is such cool. a good it's a trilogy it's very very good it's by um neil schumann schumann yeah neil schusterman i'm looking at the schusterman. wikipedia yes. now yeah yeah this this has real like very on the nose resolving world on the nose world building mm-hmm. but man they're the two the two groups of of things are called the thunderhead and the scythe dumb how fucking tight is that yeah. oh it's god. so good it's a very good and then so you can also if you are um a scythe you get to choose how people die which is also wild and so there's a whole discussion around this guy who does um like mass murders to so you have to reach a quota quota so he does it all at once random ish but just all at once to reach his quota instead of going through and picking people individually like 300 days out of the year mm. so it's it, it's a good story that's just what i'm saying but yeah. No, it's really cool. But this, mm-hmm. this again, this is the opposite of what Shirley Jackson is doing. Mm-hmm. This guy definitely started with, what if this world existed and then told mm-hmm. a story within this world? Because you can tell from how cool everything sounds. The sites have to take the name of a historical figure? Like, yeah. come on, they call it gleaning? Let's yeah. go! Like, yeah. I get it, I'm, I'm hype about it, mm-hmm. but it sure isn't the type of perfect storytelling that oh, yeah. Shirley Jackson is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh going like going from story outwards instead mm-hmm. of world inwards um mm-hmm. they're very different approaches oh yeah definitely i just had to mention it i don't know how i got there but i had to bring it up because no it's, it's worth it tight. yeah no it's worth it yeah. all right let's talk about the end i think it's time yeah it's time time to round it out yeah um i would love to talk about the stones that everyone chooses Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, the thing we finally realize what the stones are for in the beginning of the story. The person who is chosen for the lottery is stoned to death, right? Mm-hmm. What I love, the, the weapons that I love is that Mrs. Delacroix selected a stone so large she had to pick it up with both hands. That is someone who's seen a bunch of lotteries before and mm-hmm. know that you need to have a big stone to kill mm-hmm. someone. Yeah, that is yeah. so that is so scary mm-hmm. of a housewife, a housewife. And we've met her son in the mm-hmm. beginning of the of the story. That is a housewife that know that has seen some people die. Yeah. And also, you got to look at it, too. Like, is did she pick the biggest stone because she wants to end this quicker for this woman? Because there's two ways to go about it. Either slow, painful death or get it over with, done, so that this lady doesn't have to suffer anymore. So, like, is she being kind or is she being intentionally brutal? Right. But then again, the fact that we have to think about this at all is mm-hmm. is absolutely bananas. Yeah. Um, of course, the other chilling part of the stones is that uh, they had to put pebbles in Davy Hutchinson's hand so that yeah. he is complicit in the stoning of his own mother. Very, mm-hmm. in- very important, I think, to the tradition, but incredibly mm-hmm. chilling detail. Yeah. And 
just the fact that like this kid doesn't even know what's going on that he has to throw rocks at his mom probably assuming that it's playtime or something yeah just atrocious i i do think it's really really good writing that she got hit by a stone like the fact that she wrote that in the third to last paragraph, a stone hit her on the side of the head as she was continuing to complain that it wasn't fair. I mm-hmm. thought that was really important that we heard that so that the last paragraph, uh, they were upon her. We know what it is. Mm-hmm. I think if we didn't have that sentence, there would have been even more ambiguity about what was happening. Listen, I know that they were upon her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it designates like. I don't know, wolves on a wolves on a deer. And I think it's an incredible sentence, but I think that it was very earned by the sentence, a stone hit her in the head. It was like a premature it was like a premature thing while the entire town, because Mr. Old Man Warner needs to tell everyone to do it. Um and it seems like someone like prematurely started to throw uh stones. I thought that was really, really important that that sentence was there. Yeah. And I just I kind of like just getting it wrapped there too like we don't need all the details we don't need to see the aftermath i don't think it would have i think it would have been harder to read but i don't think it would have been like beneficial in any way oh definitely not better this is an incredible ending yeah but i i just like that the i like that the last sentence wasn't and then they all threw their stones Mm -hmm. Or in mm-hmm. I, even the most beautiful version of that, the most refined sentence of that is not better than "and then they were upon her." Mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah, jeez. I'm also thinking too. I'm like, how long does it take? Like, does this go on for a while? Like, at what point do they just kind of call it quits? All right, that that should be good. Like, just. A lot, just a lot of thoughts. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's per- it's honestly perfect. I love the ending. And again, mm-hmm. what I said at the beginning: imagine that this is how the play ends of mm-hmm. of her screaming, "It isn't fair!" and then the lights go down. I want to see this play now. Yeah, I would love like, to see it staged. It would be wonderful. Yeah. That'd be so this, cool. One like this. Do you ever? I mean, you're a you're a bookish person. Do you ever mm-hmm. think about like? restagings of Shakespeare plays just for fun you know like when when like Romeo and Juliet but it's set mm-hmm. in like a zombie apocalypse or whatever or my favorite Nomeo and Juliet N- not no not like that <laughs> like uh, like the like the language is like more like Romeo plus Juliet where the okay. language is the same but mm-hmm. all of the setting is different do you ever cool. think about stuff like that I I am not big on plays. Like, I want to be. Sure. I dream to be. But I've never had the opportunity to be. So I haven't really thought about that. I think about it in the way of, like, retellings. Like, yeah. Like, if they change this one thing, what would that look like? Kind of yeah. thing. Like, you know how um, there was that... What was it? The Romeo and Juliet, uh, but, like, modern day words... What was that? Like, was it like emo emoji Romeo and Juliet or something ridiculous? I can't remember. I don't know. Maybe it was. It was Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'm thinking about just like restate. Usually, this is like mm-hmm. restaging of Shakespeare plays, mm-hmm. where 
Um, you know, they set it in a different time, but they don't change any of the languages. Like, okay. oh, this is set in the post-apocalyptic world. This is mm. Macbeth, but it's set in World War II. Uh, okay. I saw an Othello that was set that was like very more modern and was more militaristic. Like he was in the actual like an actual army. Mm-hmm. Stuff like this. I was thinking about restaging this, and mm-hmm. would you have to? Here's my here's my question. Here's what I mean. Mm-hmm. If you were doing setting this up as a play right now, mm-hmm. would you keep it as everyone wearing like flannels, jeans, mm-hmm. dresses, or would you try to set it in some sort of other setting? Because I don't mm-hmm. know if the Americana thing is cliche and trite now and you need to Mm -hmm. modernize it or if modernizing it takes the poison out that it's not the thing that you said that this could be any time any place like yeah maybe people could be wearing it's like does someone is someone gonna pull out their phone is that important to Mm -hmm. calling each other in for this so i okay you have to know what i just came off of for me before i answer this so we recently did the kindred book um, yeah, not yeah, too yeah. long ago and they came out with a kindred tv show in which they modernized it and ruined the entire thing so i'm right hesitant. that's what i'm saying yeah i'm hesitant to say modern because i i don't know because the There's hard part is then, the... no okay, sorry you go ahead it, it's for me the hard part with making it modern would then be all right we saw on tiktok the other towns uh don't do this anymore so we're not gonna do it or that kind of right. widespread social media presence where then they have to have the conversation of like somehow everyone's phones don't work. And I don't know. Right. But I guess on work. the other hand, on the other hand, I would push back and say, mm-hmm. well, the whole point is that we're saying, mm-hmm. well, this couldn't happen now. We're mm-hmm. civilized modern people. This mm-hmm. is something that they were worried about happening in the middle of the century. Yeah. I wonder if just like, because maybe there's the thing, it's the thing about the crops though. I think mm-hmm. it might be essential to be farmers, yeah. that they have to seem like farmers or at least Americana people. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that lends itself to the thing that I'm saying that, oh, this doesn't matter anymore because it was a construction of a po- of a mm-hmm. World War II era America and things have changed so much in the modern world. I I honestly think it could live up to modern day if you know we still have the like nobody talks about it type of whisper chain on social media i i would be really interested to see it in the modern day setting because i think it could work with like provisions of uh people not getting radicalized because they not radicalized that's not the word i want i don't think either way maybe yeah, that people aren't – I just don't want to see people getting influenced for the sake of, like, oh, we're modern and we get influenced to, like, be better when I, I just wanted to tell the same story. You know what I mean? Hmm. This makes me want to look at this again mm-hmm. and think about if it's actually crops because I just did a find a find thing on this short story, and the mm-hmm. word crops doesn't show up. And I also looked for yeah. farm and it also doesn't show up. There's a whole thing about coal here, that this yeah. is a coal company office. So maybe it would work that this mm-hmm. is just more about prosperity. The sacrifice of the lottery is just about being prosperous in the town. So maybe it would work yeah. in a kind of just like, don't take out your mm-hmm. phones, but everyone's wearing T-shirt and jeans. Yeah. I think they and say something bo- about And boots corn. or whatever. I think they, I guess, was... Maybe they do say something yeah. about corn. Because I remember him saying something about like whispering about another town about corn, but I could 
I've just made that up. Oh, you're right. The say well, the saying is mm-hmm. lottery in June, corn be heavy soon. Mm. So that's fair, but this is going in the tradition that this is a long time tradition. Yeah. And if this is a town that has grown into a modern city, it mm-hmm. did it used to have a lot of like agricultural superstition around it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would I really want to see this as a modern thing now, to be honest. I know. Now I just want to see people just wear and wear and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I love the idea of it. Like I have um one of my friends is from a town so small that her graduating high school class was like four people geez so that's where i've set it in my brain right now it's the modern day that town specifically just because that's the smallest town i can physically think of no i mean that's good um i was thinking that this this happened like somewhere in the pacific northwest Mm -hmm. it feels like this particular type of creepy like i know you know we have puritans and witches and stuff in the in the northeast um, but like getting lost, this is a town in the woods that still does this is really something that scares the crap out of me. To yeah. that point, I would love to talk about the uh, responses to mm-hmm. the lottery. Um, yes. There is an article that I think you can you're gonna I sent you. It's called mm-hmm. the lottery letter. It's called the lottery letters uh, mm-hmm. by Ruth Franklin, um, where they ran an article in June 2013 about the responses that the New Yorker got to the short story. Um, it was the most responses that the New Yorker ever got to any fiction story. However, uh, I will say that mm, it is the most responses that anyone had gotten to a fiction story. And a lot of people were very confused. They're like, mm-hmm. what is this? I don't understand it. What does it mean? And then a lot of other people were like, this is barbaric. This is disgusting. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Which is mm-hmm. wild to think that it's such a stark story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. would be um would be seen as like a like a slasher film, right? Yeah. Here here's my question that I want to talk about here. Mm-hmm. In this article, they say that let me get the exact let me get the exact quote. Uh here's the exact quote. Mm-hmm. The fact that so many readers accepted the lottery as truthful is less astonishing than it now seems, <laughs> since at the time the New Yorker did not designate its stories as fact or fiction, mm-hmm. and the casuals or humorous essays were generally understood as falling somewhere in between. <sighs> that's that's so difficult to think about. Yeah. What um yeah, I I mean, ooh, it's almost like media literacy. Like, mm-hmm. why the fact that The New Yorker would not establish the two is mm-hmm. bonkers to me. It feels mm-hmm. really disingenuous from any sort of of outlet. They like you're being ambiguous about what is nonfiction and what is fiction. I feel like that's that's super important. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like are is like is this like a literary this is just like a literary is this just like a silly little literary thing? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to indulge myself with a story and and it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But like it had real consequences. Yeah. That people were pissed. Mm-hmm. I I also think it's wild just like I guess when you get a newspaper, is the assumption that it's all true? Or is it the assumption that like when you're reading it, that like some of this is gonna be Fiction. I don't know. I mean, like, The New Yorker was definitely a magazine and not, mm-hmm. like, it wasn't straight news. Yeah. But maybe that wasn't as important in, like, a po- in like a 
before the modernist idea of literary form and genre mm-hmm. that like you can play with form and mm-hmm. form matters and that we that nonfiction and fiction and the way that we tell stories is is a, so established that we can then start to iterate on it like mm-hmm. this feels just very murky and silly mm-hmm. um so maybe we're like we can't even i can't even put myself in a position where i would not know if something was real or not but then again at the same time i think about like you know creepy pastas and mm-hmm. horror stories on the internet and i'm like i don't think this is real but maybe yeah. like could it be or like maybe you you think about a true crime story mm-hmm. or you know those scary stories that people tell on like on different subreddits where they say it's true, but maybe it doesn't matter that it is or is not true because they're just trying to make scare you and that's the intention. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it, it has to do with the intention here of Shirley mm-hmm. Jackson, but I'm not really sure what her intention was. Because, you know, when, when people keep asking her questions, she always changes it, right? Like, she says yeah. it's, about, it's about one thing, it's about another thing, which is a writer thing to do. But, mm-hmm. I mean, with something that has so much power... I wish it was a little bit more established about what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And uh, if like, but at the same time, people sure did believe that this was true, which s- says how incredible and powerful this short story was. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I have to give her like props for doing that though. But I think it's interesting for her to not put a label on what's inspiring her so that it can really fit into whatever you want it to be you know it Mm. can fit into any sort of story and you don't view it through a specific lens and like a specific this is why she wrote it this way and why she's doing it this way right like she really is allowing the ambiguity to i'm more annoyed at the new yorker for not saying Mm. it's fiction Mm, yes um and like that doesn't have anything to do with Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson mm-hmm. wrote a story. She she mm-hmm. created it. And I don't think it's her responsibility to tell me what mm-hmm. it is, but I think it's the responsibility of the publication to say yeah. something, especially with these like silly the uh what, what was the thing? These like silly funny humorous essays. Like mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. That stuff is so stupid. <laughs> They're like I can see, yeah, you, well you have a tradition of just allowing someone to write, "Oh, this silly thing happened to me. It was mm-hmm. real." Wink wink. Like yeah. that how are you publishing hard-hitting or important fiction alongside humorism like that? That's yeah. the thing that really bothers me. Oh yeah. I imagine so you know like I don't know if you ever had to be a server before. Uh, no, I never worked in uh, in food service, but I've worked in crappy jobs as well. Yeah. So, like, a part of being a server is you just lie constantly to every patron that comes in the restaurant. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm imagining that, like, doing that where I'm like, yeah, my, these are my mother's favorite tacos. She asks them every time you're here, please get these tacos because I get a dollar raise if you, you know, eat the tacos. I get a little bonus. Um, which is <laughs> a lot. Um, so there's like works like that being published in the New Yorker, and you're like, oh, is this true? Is that her mother's favorite tacos? I don't know. And then there's this right next to it the next week. That's what I'm imagining. And so like, no wonder that people are confused and outraged. Why you have like this silly goofy taco story, and then you have uh, hard hitting literature the next week. Sure. Sure. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where, like, if I was a still an English teacher, mm-hmm. I would write this, and then we'd have a whole discussion about this, especially with the context of like creepy pastas and internet stories. Mm-hmm. And I would have everyone write an essay about does it is like not even does it matter. It would be like whose responsibility is it mm-hmm. that 
whose responsibility is it to tell um or like is it important that you know no no that's not exactly that's not exactly what the question would be see this is how hard it is to come up with with homework assignment to come up with essays and good homework assignments it's like the question would be like who needed to say that shirley jackson's the lottery was fiction Mm -hmm. and then i hope that someone would say it actually doesn't matter because I also don't think it matters. I just think that it fr- it's frustrating to her in a historical context that mm-hmm. the bullshit of the New Yorker got in the way of her her am- ambiguity in the mm-hmm. lottery, which is tough. I yeah. mean, where else was she going to publish it? If she didn't publish it in the New Yorker, it wouldn't have been gotten as famous as it did mm-hmm. in, in the only way it could in 1948. So I don't know. To me, it goes hard that she kept all of the letters that were, like, really mean in a scrapbook. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> they're now in, what, the Library of Congress, did it say? Yeah, Shirley Jackson goes hard, man. <laughs> I love that for her. I love the idea that, like, she's framing the really negative reviews. It makes me giggle. Because uh, one of my favorite things that authors do now is um, they sell their book by their worst rated review. Oh, Sure. And it's my favorite. It always never sparks, like, never fails to bring me joy. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I read uh, something that Shirley Jackson said in a 1960 lecture? Mm-hmm. She, so she was talking about the hate mail that she received in 1948. One of the most terrifying aspects of publishing stories in books is the realization that they're going to be read and read by strangers. I never fully realized this before, although, of course, I had in my imagination dwelt lovingly upon the thought that the millions and millions of people were going to be uplifted and enriched and delighted by the stories I wrote. And it simply never occurred to me that these millions and millions of people might be so far from being uplifted that they would sit down and write me letters I was downright scared to open. Of the 300-odd letters that I received that summer, I can only count 13 that spoke kindly to me, and they were mostly from friends. Even my mother scolded me. Dad and I did not care at all for your story of the New Yorker, she wrote sternly. It does seem, dear, that this gloomy kind of story is what all you young people think about these days. Why don't you write something to cheer people up? God, that feels so modern. So yeah. incredibly modern to me. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Incredible. I love her parents even kind of roasting her. That makes me laugh quite a bit, actually. <laughs> like her her greatest generation parents who mm-hmm. went through World War One were like were like, We fought we <laughs> we fought the Kaiser. Why are you writing such sad stories? <laughs> They're like happy stories only, actually. Wow, no bummers. Her parents <laughs> said no bummers. Incredible. We're the uh, Posse only. Toxic positivity <laughs> from Shirley Jackson's parents. Oh, they're like Apple, where they're like, no bad guys can have iPhones. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no assholes. We have a no assholes policy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy that I'm here. Is it, do you have anything else to say about the short story? <laughs> I feel like we've r- really wrung it out. Yeah. Um I think we're good. We got We actually finally got to talking about the actual stoning, so that's good. We did, yeah. <laughs> um but I think that's good. 
Thank you so much, Eric, for joining me. I didn't mean to end your podcast no, for you. I was just like, I'm I'm out of things to say. I no. don't know what else to say about the lottery. It's all good. It's perfect. It's it's like a nice little nice little bow, and you tied it, and then I just got to do like the little string, the final tweak. Just, yeah, you did a little yeah. do it there. Yeah, you know. If there's one thing to remember, it's toxic positivity mm-hmm. is coming from Shirley Jackson's the lottery. <laughs> That's what we want you to remember. Specifically her parents. Thank you. Yeah. If you ever worried about what your parents think of you, remember that Shirley Jackson's parents wanted her to write more uplifting fiction. <laughs> God. I ha- This is like the only story I've actually read by Shirley Jackson because I've been waiting for someone to want to read Hill House so that I could then watch the TV show because I have not seen the TV show. I think there might be a movie. And if so, I have not seen that either. Um, so this is a great introduction to Shirley Jackson for me. You definitely should read The Haunting of Hill House. The the mm-hmm. book itself is seems to be different than the um the TV show. I feel yeah. like the TV show does the thing where it like iterates on the uh source material. Mm-hmm. So I think you should just dive in. I mean, listen, always there are always people the people who write horror are mm-hmm. always just like the nicest, kindest, most wonderful people. Whether we're talking about like Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. or Junji Ito, or Shirley Jackson, all these people in the various places. They all seem like wonderful people. I love, mm-hmm. I would love to just continue to talk to uh, horror folks. Um, mm-hmm. Even Stephen King. I mean, Stephen King, when he's not zooted up super hard on opiates, you know, <laughs> I, he must be a fun person to talk to. I love following him on Twitter. Oh, no now he's just, he's just shooting, he's just shooting a <laughs> shot. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, whatever. Well, <laughs> Boom. He's the one who made he's the one who made Twitter blue only eight dollars. What an absolute genius! <laughs> oh, yeah, the whole reason I want to read Hill House really bad is because I keep reading horror novels where it's quoted, and I'm like, what if this is misquoted? Like that mm. would be even funnier to me. Is if people don't want to actually read it and just keep misquoting it? That's what I want to know. That's a great idea. You should just read it. I think you should just read it. Yeah. I don't think that the the TV show shouldn't hold you back or doing turning it into content. That shouldn't hold you back. Yeah. No, I, I'm going to read it at some point. I've just been like trying to this is I'm going through my whole like like horror gothic ish reading era right now. So it's sure. been on the list to get to, but I have not gotten to it yet. No, for sure. Um I would love to challenge you for your next episode or mm-hmm. the next time you want to do a single episode. Please do that Ursula K. Le Guin short story. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could talk about that in comparison, doing it from a sci-fi perspective instead mm-hmm. of from this like Americana perspective. Um, I think, And also Ursula K. Le Guin has a wonderful economy of language as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of similarities between this short story and the, and, and the Omalas short story. Yeah, I'll have to do that because I was also very interested in that story when you pitched it yeah. as an option. Also very short. Also very yeah. short. I love a good short story. It makes that good reads goal <laughs> go real quick. Hell yeah. <laughs> but uh, Eric, what are all the podcasts you're on so that people of the internet can find you? Oh, I do so many podcasts. If you want to hear me more talk about stuff like this, if you like the sound of my voice, you can listen to me like making three episodes a week. 
I'm on Join the Party, an actual play tabletop RPG podcast, which is where, if you don't know, we play um, tabletop role-playing games kind of as the engine for us to tell a fictional story. Uh, right now, we are doing a campaign set, a pirate story set in a world of plant and bug people. Uh, we made a sea shanty as our theme song. It is fucking off. The Rising Tide is so much fun, and we're really enjoying it, and we have two full campaigns and one mini campaigns for you to marathon as well if that's something you're interested in that's join the party and i also run games and feelings which is an advice show about games whether we're talking about video games board games tabletop games and more that is now a weekly show uh which is a lot of fun to do if you're looking for an advice show that is uh actually give, that balances humor and advice and it's about games you'll really like it and my new show is called Tell Me About It which is a game show uh run by a uh erratic multi-billionaire trying to figure out if the things that people love are better than his favorite thing which is of course the movie musical Grease uh so we have people come on talk about their favorite things and then we kind of put them through their paces in this game show. I play the uh, referee and butler to uh, legendary improv, legendary Chicago improv comedian, Adel Rafai, our multi-billionaire. We have four episodes uh, now. The fourth episode is coming out this Thursday. That one comes out bi-weekly. And it's a lot of fun. So please check, check, uh, please check me out. Yeah. What can be better than the hit musical Grease? Lots of things. Lots of things are better than it. But it's it's very funny using Greece as the jumping off point. Um, yeah. In every single episode, we do one trivia fact about Greece, and no one has gotten any of them right. It's so funny. Oh, I love that Greece is the standard. Okay. It's so good. It, it's, it's just, it's incredibly demented. It, it's fun doing a high concept mm-hmm. game show, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like the game show itself is like, you know, it's another podcast about people talking about things that they love, which is my favorite shows, you know. But being able to set it in a game show that's high concept, it's like 50% improv and 50% game show is is so much fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I will catch all you listeners next week. Bye. Someone else will be chosen for the lottery. It won't be me again.